So today in the reading corner, I'm extremely pleased to have as my guest Thomas Harding, a journalist, documentary maker and author. His first book, Hans and Rudolf, The German Jew and the Hunt for the Commandant of Auschwitz, was published in 2013 and was a national bestseller and shortlisted for the 2013 Costa Book Awards. The House by the Lake, Berlin, One House, Five Families, A Hundred Years of History, was published in 2015. As the title states, it's a story of modern Germany revealed through a personal search to track down the occupants of one house situated by a lake on the outskirts of Berlin. The narrative moves backwards and forwards in time by turn shining a light on the occupants of the house and also the search to uncover the missing history. The House by the Lake has now been adapted as a picture book illustrated by Britta Teckentrup and published by Walker Books. And today we're going to be talking to Thomas um, about uh, that adaptation. So welcome to In the Reading Corner. It's a privilege to have you here today, Thomas. Well, Nikki, honestly, it's so great to be here and I'm looking forward to our chat. Now, I know that you will have talked about this many times before, so forgive me for asking you to go over old ground, but I'd really like to know how your search and how this story started for you. Well, you know, it all started back in 1993, just a few years after the Berlin Wall came down. And my grandmother, we called her Granny, she was 80 years old at the time, and she wanted to take me and my cousins back to the city of her birth, which was Berlin in Germany. And she and her family had to leave, had to flee Germany in the 1930s. They were German Jewish. And with the rise of the Nazis, the National Socialists, their life was in danger. So they had to leave the country very quickly. So my grandmother took us back to Germany and she showed us the house where she was grew up and she showed us the school. And then she took us out of Berlin to the West of Berlin. If you imagine Berlin as an Island within a, the sea of a, of a bigger country. So to the West of Berlin in what used to be Eastern Germany, there's a village called Grossglinica, very small village to the, to the, to the West of Berlin. There are all these lakes like Wannsee and other lakes. And one of the lakes is called Grossglinica Zee. And her father and mother had built this very small wooden house overlooking the lake. It, imagine a, a tiny little dacha. Like it's, it wasn't a palace. It wasn't one of these large villas. It was only nine meters by 10 meters, but it had the most extraordinary situation overlooking the lake. And she took us out there and uh, my grandmother was this larger than life character she had the shock of white hair and re bright red lipstick and a big black mink coat and a cigarette and she was marching down this sandy path and this dog was barking and this man came out of this house with a tall fluffy hat and said what are you doing here what are you doing here in German and she said oh you know I came here I want to show my grandchildren the house that we used to spend the weekends and he said the Alexanders you're the Alexanders and she said, yes, yes. And then he invited her in. And it was the most extraordinary time of him showing around the house and her then showing him around her house. And it was really a, a real moment, a powerful moment, because this was the last physical trace that our family had in Germany, because the other house where she grew up in had been bombed during the war. And the clinic 
that her father had been bombed. So this is the last physical trace. And I could see from my grandmother this extraordinary attachment to this place. She described it as her soul place. She was always talking about it when we were young. And then fast forward 20 years to 2013, and I was writing a, a book about my family. And the people in the village said, you have to come back to the village. You have to come and see the house. So I flew over and this is 2013 and I walked up to the house and it was totally different from the time I'd seen it before. Now it was overgrown with bushes. The windows were broken. There was graffiti all over the walls. The back bedroom where my grandmother's parents had slept was now a drug den. You know, there was obvious paraphernalia from drug use. And I have to say, it, I had this terrible feeling in the pit of my stomach. I felt this real sadness. And I decided I wanted to do something about that. And, uh, and so that started a, a journey, which is still ongoing, to first of all, save the house, uh, and then to work with the local people in the village and my family to restore it. Remarkable story. And I know that we'll be digging into uh, lots of different parts of that. But uh, before we switch to the house, I wanted to say that I had read both uh, the picture book, obviously, but also uh, your adult nonfiction. And I was shocked, even though I had studied history, so little that I knew about Berlin. Do you know, I didn't even realise that West Berlin was cut off from the west of Germany. I just thought a line went straight through the country and it was east on one side and west on the other. I mean, how ridiculous is that? Do you find that people, that their knowledge is, is good or am I particularly dense? <laughs> No, I mean, Nikki, I mean, I'm in the same group you are in or are in. Um, only when I went there and only when I started studying the history that I realized that Berlin was surrounded by communist East Germany. I had no idea. So when the country was split between East and West, the village found itself on the East German side of the border, even though just the other side of the lake was Berlin, West Berlin. And the house itself ended up in East Germany. And then when they built the Berlin Wall, the Berlin Wall was built between the back of the house and the lake. The Berlin Wall literally went through the garden <laughs> of the house. And all of this was very new to me. And I think part of the journey for me has been understanding German history. And that was one of the real interests for me and one of the driving forces of writing the adult book. Because it's very much a story, not just of my family, but of a hundred years of German history. And for me, it was an opportunity to understand, you know, what had happened. Uh, it is remarkable that one house should witness so much. Uh, but maybe we can go into the micro level for a little bit and uh, talk a bit about what you discovered about the families that lived there after the departure of your own family. The next family had moved into the house was this family called the Mizells. They were very much like my family of the same kind of class. And my father, my great-grandfather's profession was a German doctor. He was one of the leading doctors in Berlin. His clients included Albert Einstein, Marlene Dietrich, the actress, Max Reinhardt, the theater director. Uh, and, you know, they very much lived in that milieu of artists and dancers and scientists. And then the Mizells were very similar. They, were, they ran a music publishing business in Berlin. And they also wanted this little house as a weekend house. In the beginning, they rented it for my great-grandparents. But then after the Gestapo stole the house from my great-grandparents, the Meisels then acquired it for next to nothing. And they lived there 
as a refuge during the war because when Berlin was being bombed by the British, they then left the city and then moved out to the countryside until they then also had to leave. And the house was then occupied by one of their staff members, the Hartmanns, and they were there till the end of the war in quite difficult circumstances. They then left just before the Russians arrived and the Red Army arrived in April 1945, and there was fighting around the house, and you could still see a little hole. You could still see some holes in the wooden siding of the house from the bullets. So there's still the traces of that time. And then after the war, these other families moved in, very different, very different um, backgrounds, street cleaners, gardeners, who were extremely happy that they had this wonderful house next to the lake. Uh, unfortunately for them, though, uh, there was a housing crisis. So these two families had to squeeze into this tiny little house. There was 13 of them living there. There was no central heating. There was no insulation. So very, very cold. It was designed as a summer house. And then, uh, then in 1961, they were woken up one day and, and they found these people working in the garden and turned out the Berlin Wall was being built between the house and the lake and no longer could they have access to the lake. So each one of these families fell in love with the house and the surroundings and then had the house and the surroundings taken from them. And eventually the last family, the Kuna family, left in around 2003. And the house was abandoned for 10 years until the time I came back in 2013. That must have been a little bit like assembling a jigsaw, putting all these pieces together. And I think you were quite fortunate to meet some elderly people who were able to give first witness accounts to help you piece together the story were they keen to talk to you or did you experience any reticence or resistance i mean i would say there was lots of reticence and resistance but there was also a desire to share the story to remember and uh, like my family you know my great grandparents my grandparents they didn't want to talk about history they want to talk about the future and i i found the same thing in germany uh, but then, you know, one person introduced me to another person, to another person. There was a lot of meeting in people's living rooms, eating coffee and cake. They call it cafe and cooking. And then they're sharing their stories, you know, whether it be, and there would be different traumas that they were sharing. You know, for my family, it was having to leave in 1935, 36, being chased out by the Nazis. For them, it, some of them, it was the Russians. And then later on, it was, you know, the Stasi was, you know, in power and, and, and they were controlling things. So you know, each of these families had different, you know, different experiences and they shared them. And uh, one of the interesting things I found was that through this house, by seeing the history through the house's perspective, I was able to see other people's experiences and other people's traumas and as well as their happy times. It wasn't just hardship. You know, there were some really fun times that were had at the house because it was after all by the lake. And so, you know, there was, there were parties and there was people shared that they got married in the house and, one of the things which was quite interesting, I was at this young German student who was helping me translate, and I was encouraging her to ask these questions. You know, back in the 1970s, what did you have for breakfast? What was on the table? What kind of pot did you use for your tea or coffee? And she, she turned to me, she said, you can't ask those questions. It's too personal. And I said, no, 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 no. These are important. These facts are important to be able to make the story real for people. And, and I bet they remember. And sure enough, they did remember. It had a sun flower on it and i think those kind of details can be really important in enriching a story so that's what i tried to do and fortunately a lot of the people were still alive who had lived at the house they were still living in the village or nearby and they were willing to share those memories with me 
It's really interesting, as you know, the listeners to in the reading corner mainly work in educational contexts, and one of the things that I run is a course for teachers and parents on writing and memory. Um, and I'll often start by asking both the children and the parents to bring to the session um, a piece of clothing that means something important to them. And both children and parents can do that. And it's so interesting to see how they come together over those objects and the life that it brings to the memory, starting from an object like that. Well, it's so interesting. So when we when we cleaned up the house and then we started pulling things out from outside, you know, one of the things that we found was a whole bunch of crockery from the East German periods. And people were just gathered around my aunt as she was cleaning these pots and pans and these plates. And they say, oh, yeah, we used to have those pots. We used to have those plates. And I think those kind of things, those mundane artifacts, not the special things, often it's the more day-to-day items which triggered the memories. Yeah. I mean, we know that in uh, Europe during this period uh, that many communities uh, were fractured, you know, within villages. Um, You talk about, I'm so poor with my pronunciation. Um, What's the name of the village again? Grossklinica. Grossklinica. You talk about how people were quite proud about it being a haven uh, for some of the Jewish uh, refugees coming from Berlin. Um, Did you find that there there was a sense of community or were there kind of tensions of uh, people having been on different sides, as it were? I mean, so the, so the relationship between the village and its former Jewish community is very fraught. It's not easy. Uh, a quarter of the people living in the village before the Second World War were Jewish. And by the time the war started, there was no one left. Uh, most had either fled the country or had been deported. And the local residents decided they wanted to find out what had happened to the Jewish families. And so they started doing the research. And that's actually how I then became engaged because having seen that the local people were really keen to find out about the past and acknowledge the traumas and the crimes of the past, I then had the confidence uh, that it was going to be safe to engage with them uh, because without truth, you can't have reconciliation. And it was on that basis that I went to my family members that I said, look, you know, I think it'd be really good to engage with them. And at first, my family members were very resistant to becoming involved. But then some of my cousins said, no, we would like to do this. This is an opportunity for reconciliation, a very rare opportunity. So they came over and in the first, what we called a cleanup day, 14 members of my family came over to Berlin and worked with the local residents to clean up the house. And then later on, raising the money to actually pay professionals to repair it. And the relationship between my family and the village is an ongoing process. It has been remarkable for me personally. When I started, when I was in Germany, I felt terrified of going to Germany. Um, and I would look at elderly Germans and ask, you know, what they'd done during the war, during the Nazi period. And now, seven, eight years later, I have uh, some remarkable friends in Germany. And so it has been a real journey for me personally, as well as other members of my family, of reconciliation. And out of that, we've built this project. Now that the house has been restored, we've set up this education 
and reconciliation project where people come from not only from Germany but from around the world and they come and visit the house and they take part in the in the story and the idea is the house becomes a bridge from the fu- from the past to the future so that we learn the lessons of the mistakes of the past so that we can try and avoid making the same mistakes again in the future so um we're talking here about a picture book for children and although it covers the same history as your adult non-fiction the tone is really entirely different it's not a non-fiction well it is non-fiction but it's almost like a fairy tale in the way that it's written we have a, a long time ago there was a little wooden house by the lake the families are unnamed except for when we get to the notes at the end of the book of course and the house is personified it does become a character in the story so I'm really interested to know how you came to write it like that was it something you sat down to think about or did it just write itself I've always loved children books uh, when I was growing up uh, I loved to read them uh, later on I spent a little, a little time in a children's bookshop in North London and loved spending the afternoons reading books and and I, I think it was the first time I, I really understood the full range of what was available and then you know, when I had my own children, I loved to read to them. And I've always wanted to uh, write my own book uh, or about for, for children or picture books. And uh, I thought that this might be a story that would be of interest. But then I thought, well, hold on a second. First of all, I've never done it before. I have no idea how to do this. And also, these are quite dark themes in this book. How am I going to find a way? Is it even possible to find a way? that this would be of interest uh, or suitable for a younger audience. And we're talking about ages six and older. And then actually I happened to be at a book festival in Scotland and I met uh, Nicola Davis, the author. And she said, look, you know, uh, you can do it. Just have a go. And so that's what I did. I just had a go at writing the story. And I really tried to pare it down to its essentials, to the emotions uh, of what happened rather than thinking about the facts and rather than thinking about the history, you know, so the house was taken from people. Uh, people fell in love with their house. People had a good time at that house and they had a bad time. Well, you know, children have those experiences. They, they have things and then they lose things. They encounter people who are nice to them and they experience people who are not nice to them. And, and so trying to boil it down to these essential ideas, I thought, okay, maybe there is a way of doing this. And then I was extraordinarily fortunate that the publishers, Walker Books, uh, persuaded Britta Teckentrup, the incredibly well-known uh, illustrator from Germany, uh, to become involved in this project. And I think she's done just the most fantastic job of capturing the emotions of the story and capturing uh, the colours and the vibrancy of the characters and of the environment. I think it's a wonderful piece of illustration. I'm totally in accordance with you. I thought the emotional range that she conveyed through the illustration was uh, fantastic. Um, And it really does bring joy as well as the dark uh, to the story. What did you hope for in having an illustrated version? And were there any specific illustrations that you were particularly pleased with? So I think the idea of having a children's book was to reach a younger audience. When we completed the renovations of the house, uh, we had people coming to visit 
uh, both young and old. And I would watch the younger people who would come to the house. They would touch the walls. They would see where the bullet holes were in the wooden siding. And I had a sense that they were really connecting with the house. And so I was thinking maybe there's a way that uh, this story could work for children. And most of all, maybe it would help them, inspire them to try and find their special place, a place that they, like my grandmother, would think of as their soul place. And if this book can do that, if this book can bring people, bring younger audiences close to those special places, uh, that would be a great thing, I think. What a lovely idea. I did notice, I think it's a German edition, has a different book jacket, a different season on the front cover. One feels more hopeful than the other, you know, typically the kind of summer, and there are no aeroplanes in the sky. Uh, the other one sent, sets up a sense of um, jeopardy. So that's very interesting. So they are very different. So the German edition has the more summery, sunny version. The British and the American edition is more wintry, is colder, more menacing with the planes in the sky. I actually don't have a preference. I react to them both quite strongly. I think they're both really interesting and they are both reflective of different aspects of the story. Uh, the house was both a place of beauty and joy and love and sanctuary. And it was also a place of, of difficulty and hardship and pain and trauma. And so I think different publishers have taken a different approach, uh, mm. but I think they both are reflective of the story. Yeah, really, really interesting. Um, now, the Alexander House project that you've talked about a, a little bit in this interview, I understand that it opened last year and certainly having read both of your, your books, I personally hope that I get the chance uh, to visit one day. Um, I assume it's a project that you're going to have continued involvement with. Yes, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm the president of the charity which runs the project and, you know, the the COVID pandemic has been a challenge and we have to have the place closed for a while, but now it's back open and members of the public can visit, uh, I think on Sunday afternoons. And, you know, we have people from the local area, from Berlin, from Potsdam, but also we have people coming from around the world. And it's always a total joy having the chance just to watch people's responses and let them have their own experience uh, of the place. And I'm so glad that uh, it's open again. It yeah. uh, it's, makes me very happy. When you were restoring the house, because you've talked about the bullet holes and you obviously made the decision to keep those. When you were restoring it, what did you decide to restore it back to? Its original sense or were you trying to record the history of the house throughout all the periods? Well, those are two different questions. So on the, on the what, we could, what we kept and what we didn't keep, uh, we were working very closely with what's called the Denkmal Monument uh, Department, the people who take care of historic buildings because we were able to protect the building as a historic building in Germany. And the Denkmal Monument Department were very clear that we had to keep everything that we could. <laughs> so even if it was much cheaper <laughs> to replace a wall or a floor or a door or a shutter, we were told if you can keep it, you have to keep it. And so um, we worked very hard with local artisans, carpenters, because often a shutter would be 75% rotten or floorboard would be 80% okay. And we had to keep everything we could. And so 
you know, the ceilings now are not perfectly smooth. You see the ripples of the ages. You see the holes in the, the siding, as I said earlier. And I think that brings a lot of character to the project where something had to be totally rebuilt. So example, during the East German period, the people living there got rid of the back porch entirely. So we had to rebuild the back porch. Uh, in terms of where we took the house back to, we took it back to about 1938. So really the end of the period just before the Second World War, 1936, just before my family left Germany, that kind of period, um, and before the changes after the Second World War. So it's pretty much as it was just before the Second World War. And then what we've done is we've assigned each of the rooms to a different family. So one of the rooms talks about my family's history at the, in Berlin and in the house. Another room... Uh, is dedicated to the Mizells. It has, uh, we've been working with the family, so they donated a piano, some of their posters, and some of other items. There's another fa another room which is for East Germany that period. So what we try to do is try the story as you walk around the house, you get actually a, a sense of a hundred years of German history just by walking through this little house. Gosh, that's so interesting. And for yourself, uh, researching this history, I, I did read in one of your articles that. Uh, with the last occupant of the house, you'd had some difficulty uh, catching up with him, but eventually you do. And you realise that the reasons for him not having responded to you were different to the ones that you had imagined. I wondered whether you'd learned anything uh, from that process and also whether you'd, whether you'd made any more discoveries about yourself as a researcher while you were working on this project. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, the answer is absolutely. You know, I've learned a lot about the process of research and in Germany, the culture is very different. So the idea of privacy is much more restricted in Germany. So you have to be more delicate, more sensitive. I, the story that you share, you know, very much I learned about, you know, and it's, a, it's a, you always have to be reminded of this, but the idea that if you go into a, any story with preconceptions, you know, it means you're probably going to miss what's right in front of you. And that was the case for that example. Uh, and in terms of what I've learned in terms of, the experience you know i said earlier about how my my relationship with germany and germans has changed but also with my own family you know we learned a lot about my family during this process and so that's been it's been a very real experience i tend to <laughs> i tend to choose projects which have real emotional meaning for myself and i think that's probably one of the reasons that i'm so interested in in doing them and that was very much the case with this book I think the book is one that will connect with so, so many uh, readers. I'd love to thank you for sharing your grandmother's soul place with us. Um, I'm sure it's become a bit of your soul place too. Thank you so much for talking to us in the Reading Corner this afternoon. Thanks, Nikki. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to In the Reading Corner with Just Imagine. If you have enjoyed this podcast, you can find many more on the podcast section of our website, justimagine.co.uk plus via iTunes or SoundCloud or your usual podcast provider. Don't forget to pass the pod and recommend this fantastic free resource to your friends and colleagues.